The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merritt, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Good evening and hello again, everybody. Welcome to Sports Talk New York here on WGBB in Merrick, Long Island, New York. Bill Donahue here. I'm taking you through the first hour on this, the 16th day of July, 2023. Our engineer, Brian Graves, is with us as always. He's right across the way. I'm happy to welcome you aboard tonight. Uh, very glad you could be with us. As always, got a great show lined up for you tonight. Leading off, we will speak with author Peter Gray, an average golfer, quote-unquote, who will regale us with tales of golfing some of the most famous courses in the world as we discuss his new book, Golfing the British Isles. In the second half, we'll welcome in Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Dave Mason. He and his band are playing out at the Great South Bay Music Festival this Thursday, the 20th, uh, in the evening out in Patchogue. So you can check them out there and check them out here as well. we got some good stuff to talk about tonight. As always, some great people, sports talk, sports memories up ahead. I want to talk to you about social media before we begin. We are on Facebook. I invite you to find us there and give the page a like. We are on LinkedIn. We're on Twitter at WGBB Sports Talk. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at B. Donahue, WGBB. And if you miss a show, don't you fret none because uh, they're all out on the website the following day cataloged so you can listen to them at your leisure. Well, our first guest, he's an environmental lawyer and a published author with an abiding passion for golf and golf course architecture. As a longtime veteran international golf course rater for Golf Week magazine, he has rated hundreds of courses in the United States and overseas. As we said, although he's a middle handicapper, he's played many of the world's top 100 courses. His perspective on the playability of golf courses is one that has been missing for readers, the perspective of the average golfer. This book, Golfing the British Isles, the Weekend Warriors Companion, presents that missing perspective that we're going to talk about tonight, folks. Welcome to Sports Talk New York, Peter Gray. Peter, good evening. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me. Great Wonder- to talk to you. Wonderful to have you aboard, Peter. Now, before yeah, we start... So you're, uh, you're located in the, in the middle of one of the greatest... Uh, golfing meccas in the world right there in Long Island. Right. right. I was, yeah, we, we got Beth Page Black, and a couple of miles down the road, we got Shinnecock Hills. Yeah, I just played Shinnecock. I love, love, love Shinnecock. Yeah, nice course. Yeah. Yeah. Now, before we start, I want to ask you, uh, Peter, who are your golf heroes of the past? Some guys who, who you followed, who you really respect their game, et cetera. Oh, I mean, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm 66 years old. Uh-huh. I was a passionate devotee of Jack Nicklaus. Right. Nothing beats the, you know, the 1986 uh, Masters. You know, his his uh, improbable uh, 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 win there. I love Tom Watson. I love when Tom Watson and Jack Nicklaus played each other in '77. 
uh, in Turnberry and the Duel in the Sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, you know, I love Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods changed the game. He did. Uh, probably the greatest golfer of all time. Uh, so I, I love all those. You know, I, I'm, I, I follow golf passionately. Good. Okay. Now, please explain to our use, our, our listeners, our users, our listeners mm-hmm. about the tagline of the book, The Weekend Warriors. What exactly do you mean by a weekend warrior? Yeah, a weekend warrior is somebody like me. You know, you have a mortgage, you got kids. You've, you're not going to be able to become a great golfer because you work mm-hmm. and you don't have time to practice. You probably will do anything to play on the weekends, but, you know, getting to the single digits is just kind of unrealistic but we love golf and uh you know i wrote this book for you because a lot of those types of golfers tend to shy away from uh trips to the the british isles thinking it's too hard it's too far it's too expensive i can't play there no it's none of those things it's it is easier to get to the british isles to play golf than it is to get to Pebble Beach or Bandon Dunes, honestly. Mm-hmm. And it's a cultural, fabulous experience. Those courses, you know, those Lynx courses are wide. There are no water hazards, hardly, at least. most. There's no ponds. There's no lakes. Uh, the fairways are generous because of the winds, uh, you know, if, if, and the greens or speeds are relatively modest. You can play these courses. Uh, they are designed for middle happy handicappers. They have their challenges, but you're not going to get beat up on those courses. That's why I love it, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging people like me to go there. And I've been going there for 30 years. I've played hundreds of courses over there. It's, it's one of my most passionate and, and uh, uh, fondest memories is going there with my son, with my buddies, with my wife, you know, so – Gotcha. Yeah, no, uh, this is the reason that you wrote the book, Peter, for these gentlemen slaving away five days a week. They get their chance to get out there on Saturday morning. They want to play, and they want to play well. So I I can understand why you decided to write it. Now, uh, you list four characteristics, Peter, that you value as being essential in a great golf course. What are they? So just, you know, I rate courses for golf week. They have 10 characteristics, but I've boiled it down to four straightforward deals, which is strategic options. Are there multiple ways of playing a hole? Can you, from 100 yards, do you have to hit a wedge, or can you putt? Can you bump and run? That's the first thing, strategic options, different Mm -hmm. ways to hit a driver off the tee, an iron, Uh, so strategic options. Number two, beauty. You can't get away from it. There are great courses that are just not that pretty. Um, for me, the experience is just so dramatically elevated when you're playing a place that just transports your, 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 your emotions. Number three, character. Do you remember the whole? Sometimes you go to these famous courses and you come off and you, you don't, you can't even remember anything but the first and the last hole. That to me, there's something wrong with a golf course if you can't remember more than two or three holes. So character, rumpled fairways or interesting, you know, uh, 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 green complexes, or you know, so that's number three. And number four, which is the squishiest of all, is it fun, right? Mm, sure. It, it, and, and you know, that's why we play. We play to have fun. We don't play to get brutalized or tortured. You know, you, I've played TPC Sawgrass down in Florida. 
I'm not going back, okay? It's a great course. It's in the top 100, but it's not for me. It's too brutal. There's just, you know, you, you, every hole is, you know, is, um, is a terror. And <laughs> yeah. for me, that's not, that's not what, you know, people like me enjoy. It's just not fun. You can design a course that can uh, delight people like me and yet present a great challenge to the single digits or the, you know, the plus digits. Uh, like my son, my son played for Rutgers. He's a plus three. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, an example is Shinnecock, frankly, uh, because if you play from the back tees, it is one of the hardest courses in the world. But if you play from the front tees, when I played it, I didn't miss a fairway. So, you know, that's, is it fun? That's a very important factor for me. And the course, the Lynx courses, and other courses too, but primarily the Lynx are just a blast. And 90% of the world's true Lynx courses are located in the British Isles. You know, Pebble Beach, that's not a Lynx course. That's a clifftop course. Mm-hmm. There is maybe one course in the entire United States that is a true Lynx course. So if you want to play Lynx golf, and I encourage it, you've got to go over there. Understood. Gotcha on that one, Peter. Now, all that being said, what are your favorite courses? Yeah. So, uh, you know, and we're going to limit it to the U.K. and Ireland courses. Okay. Because I have plenty in the United States I could talk about. I've played hundreds of courses here, too. But over there, um, you know, obviously this is very much a personal decision. It's not, is this the best course? But it, for me, the best course in the British Isles is, number one, is Royal Portrush in Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. It checks all the boxes. It's the seaside location is incomparable. There's a ruins that you can see from almost every hole, one of these ancient uh, ruins of castles. Uh, the, the holes are dramatic. The, the, the dunes are dramatic. It's wide enough so that I can have fun. The greens are cool. It's just, it's an amazing course. And number two, Royal County Down, also in Northern Ireland. It is Probably one of the most beautiful places you'll ever go to to play the game. It is amazing. So those are my top two, and they are in Northern Ireland, which is part of the U.K. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have, you know, in Scotland, I love St. Andrews. There's, you know, no person who loves golf should go through their life without teeing off on the old course in St. Andrews. It is, when I did it, I've played there half a dozen times. Every time I play there, it brings a tear to my eye. I mean, you're playing out of the middle of a 12th century ancient town. There's, you know, it, there's just a, a extraordinary seascape nearby. Uh, you know, the, you're walking in the footsteps of some of the greatest golfers that ever lived. You can play it. In the United States, when you want to play, you know, a place where the U.S. Open hasn't played, most of those courses are private. You can't play them. But in the British Isles, and particularly in Scotland, you can play courses where the Open Championship has been 12, held since the 1860s. Wow. And, you know, so it is, it is, it is, it's, it's, it transports you. And mm-hmm. on top of that, in St. Andrews, the town of St. Andrews, probably the greatest pub crawl scene in the entire world. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah. it's just, it's just, a, it's just a blast. Great place to be. Yeah, I, I can imagine that. We're speaking with Peter Gray tonight about his book, Golfing the British Isles. 
Now, mm-hmm. you gave us a little background on it. Uh, your fondest memory of your trips over to the U.K. Try to expound upon that a little bit for us, Peter. Boy, there's, there's so many. It's, it's really hard to pin down. I probably, my fondest memory is when I've, I've gone over there several times with my son. When he turned 13, I told him that we could go anywhere he wants to go, and he wanted to go play uh, St. Andrews. So we had, this was back when I could still beat my son, and those <laughs> days are, they are long over. But we went into, we played that whole, we, we, that course, you know, he was quite good, but I could still beat him. And going into the 17th hole, the famous road hole, we were tied, and I had a disaster, a, an epic meltdown. Um, if you know the hole, um, it's got, it's one of the hardest, craziest holes in the world. You hit over a rail set. It's a completely blind tee shot. The green is a ribbon. There's one of the most difficult bunkers you'll ever see uh, right in front called the Road Home Bunker. I went over the green, and I started trying to get on the green with my caddy handing me different club after different club. I couldn't do it, and a crowd gathered behind me. <laughs> it was, it was, you know, beads of sweat pouring down my back. Took an eight. That was it. Probably my favorite. But, I mean, there's so many different memories there, and most of them are reflected in my book. My book is, you know, if you read a lot of golf books, they're boring. They talk about this hole and that hole and this hole and that hole. That's not very interesting. I'm trying to give people a sense of the experience, what it's like to be there. Um, So I tell stories. So that's, that's the nature of my book. And my my you know my co-publisher Gary Lisbon I mean Bill you looked at the pictures I mean the book this guy is one of the greatest photographers in the world and uh, I can't yeah. believe he did it with me to be honest amazing amazing photography folks in this book yeah. uh check it out if for that only the photography by Gary Lisbon I want to ask you Peter we're talking about Royal Liverpool now which is yep. one of the most beautiful courses to play. It's the site of the Open Champion that takes place yep. next week. Not the British Open, the Open Championship. That's right. You don't what? want to say British Open because you're, you'll piss off the Brits. They well, don't, why know, why do well. they take umbrage with that, Peter? Well, because they're, the British Open suggests that it was somehow, you know, the, the same time as the U.S. Open. It wasn't. It's the Open. Ah. It's the Open because it started long before the U.S. Open. So they don't like it when people call it the British Open. And so when I'm over there, I call it the Open mm-hmm. or the Open Championship, either one. And that's, that's so. But, yeah, Royal Liverpool, you know, 160 years old, uh, designed. Uh, well, most of the holes were designed by the famous architect H.S. Colt. Think of, if you know golf, Pine Valley in New Jersey, the many years, the number one course in the world, that's designed by Colt. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, you know, it's not, when, when you stand on the first tee, you don't see the ocean. It's sort of flat. Uh, but, oh, my God, it is, it is one of the great walks in all of golf. It is the strategic value of the holes is incredible. And the history is amazing. I mean, you know, it was one, you know, Tiger Woods won there, uh, I think in 2006, with nothing but a two iron off the tee. 
And then I think in 2015, uh, Roy McElroy, who I would pick, by the way, if you're betting, uh, won, and he was hitting driver. Uh, Bobby Jones also uh, won there uh, back in, uh, I can't remember when, in the 1920s. I, there's a lot of history there. It, it is an incredible place. Um, not on everybody's list of, you know, it's not like St. Andrews or Turnberry, but it is damn good. Spectacular, yeah. I, I can imagine that, Peter. Uh, so you, you let us in a little bit about why it's called the Open Championship, not the British Open, why Royal Liverpool is so special. I want to ask you, uh, who do you see leading the field at Royal Liverpool? You mentioned Rory yeah. McIlroy. Any, anybody else that you're looking at to, to uh, have a good day? Well, you know, I, I don't particularly favor any Americans over there, to be honest. Uh, but it really depends on the weather. Weather's going to be a very big determinant. Um, you know, the, the European players are just more used to playing in the difficult conditions that you find yourself facing in the British Isles. So I, I like people like uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick. I like people like Roy McIlroy. Mm-hmm. Um, of the non-foreign uh, players, Tom Kim has been on the rise uh, lately. He just he made a great showing in the Scottish Open. Uh, I, I see him competing there. Uh, his game is rounding into form. I also like uh, 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 Shane Lowry of Ireland. Uh, his game is just suited to that. He just hits those beautiful fades. He, he can move the ball both ways. Like him too. So those would be my my picks. I, but every time I bet, I lose. So <laughs> yeah. don't don't uh, don't take my advice. I got you. All right, Peter. We're speaking with Peter Gray tonight. His great new book, Golfing the British Isles: The Weekend Warriors Companion. Uh, talk a little bit further about it. Again, we said the photography in the book, spectacular, and uh, that's owed to Gary Lisbon. How did you join forces with Gary Lisbon, uh, who who yeah. really peppered this book with beautiful photographs? So, first of all, uh, when I wrote this book, I had a very serious health issue. I had cancer, oh, and um, this was a way for me, this was almost therapy, writing about this, uh, to distract me from, you know, the serious a life situation I was uh, confronting. And then when I was done, I figured, you know, maybe I'm going to try to get this published. So I knew that I would need images because you can't can't really write a book like this without images. And I follow this guy, Gary Lisbon, on Instagram. And I started communicating with him. I said, you know, I'd really, you know, he has all the shots. He has all the shots of all the courses in the U.K. Uh, If you go on Gary Lisbon right now, you can see his pictures of uh, Hoylake, which is the other name for uh, Royal Liverpool. I mean, he, he is a, he's a master. So I said, you know, I'd really like you to do my book. And he said, well, send me the manuscript. He lives in Australia, by the way. Okay. And so he read it, and he said, I'm in. Because, you know, my book is it's not a, it's not a, this is not a coffee table book. It's a book book, uh, but it has images in it. And he liked the new concept, right? Not just, you know, a few words about the course, but, you know, really sort of storytelling. And so he was in, and then when I approached, uh, I I pitched it to um, a a subsidiary of Random House called Triumph Books, 
They love the idea, and they know Gary. Gary is the real deal. This guy is just, he walks on water as far as I'm concerned. There's nobody whose pictures I prefer. So, you know, if you buy this book or, you know, just go look at it on Instagram. He's got some images in his uh, in his feed. He's got like 100,000 followers. Amazing. So, yeah. Just, yeah. Just he's, beautiful. He's, he's great. And uh, the guys at Triumph, too, I'll give them a shout-out. They, they do a great job with, with all their publications as well. Yeah, so you, they're great. So you explained to us, Peter, uh, how it may look like a coffee table book, folks. It's a, it's a little oversized. It's not your normal size book. But you, you really need that to convey the beauty of some of these courses. As, as Peter says, it's more of a real book with photos. Now, I, I want to yeah. put to you, Peter, the question – uh, that that I would ask, uh, and and maybe some some uh, weekend warrior may ask, am I good enough to go over there and play these courses? Yeah, yeah you 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 know, if if you can if you can break a hundred, you're good enough. You're definitely good. Listen, if you're a complete hacker and you're whiffing and all that, I I don't know. You know, you might not have this. Might not be your thing. If you're golfing once or twice a year, meh. No, no. But if you're yeah. if you're a weekend warrior and you're going out and you're shooting in the nineties, you know, even in a hundred, you're good enough because these these holes, the holes, they tend to be pretty wide. They give you lots of different ways to play. Uh, you know, you don't have to be hitting three woods. Uh, you don't have to be hitting. In fact, there's no reason to bring a lob wedge. Uh, the ground is rock hard. So, you know, you don't have to play those kinds of shots that pros play. You can play anything. I, you can putt from 100 yards, okay? I've done it many times. And the caddies love it. That's, that's, that's golf in the British Isles. So there's a million ways to play it. You'll have a ton of fun. The caddies are incredible. And you definitely walk. You definitely take caddies. And they'll guide you. I, I, you know, I remember playing Bally Bunyan in Ireland. And I hit the ball so far left, it was in the middle of a field of fescue. My caddy walked right out to the ball. I mean, directly. It was 100 yards in. These, you know, so they'll help you, and you'll have fun. You won't lose many balls, to be honest. Uh, you don't need to bring you know, two boxes, because some of these courses are so wide that it's, it's really not about uh, – you know, can you keep the ball in the fairway? It's just, you know, just just go out and have fun. Hit it, mm-hmm. find it, hit it again. Right, yeah. And you answered my question I was going to bring up about uh, using a caddy. And some, some guys may wonder, Peter, how much does it cost to get on a course like uh, Royal Liverpool? Well, they're all different. Um, some of them are more than others, obviously. Uh, St. Andrews is a muni. Can you imagine? It's a music. Yeah, right, yeah. Uh, so it's not expensive. Uh, the, the harder thing there is getting a tea time. It's, it, you know, there's a whole lottery system that you have to go through. And you go through it. If you're going to do it in 2024, you better look it up. You go to the Royal and Ancient uh, a website, and you can, you know, put in a foursome, and maybe you get picked. And then it's like 100 bucks. It's not a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Not bad. Um, yeah. Uh, but you know, yeah, you, some of these courses are expensive. They'll cost you two or three hundred dollars. But you're paying. Trust me, it's cheaper to play in the British Isles than to go play Pebble Beach, where it's six hundred bucks. 
Yeah, right. right. Uh, so, you know, and it's, it's to me, there are 30 courses in the British, 50 courses in the British Isles that are better than Pebble Beach. Okay? So everybody says, oh, Pebble Beach, oh, oh. No, it's better over there. Um, Kingsbourne's just outside of St. Andrews, is Pebble Beach. It's, it's, it's got very similar kinds of holes, only I like it better. So, you know, you don't have to be a great golfer, but you can't be a complete and utter, you know, swing and miss guy. That, that would, you wouldn't <laughs> yeah. have that much fun. But, I mean, if you play the game, you know, if you go out with your buddies every weekend and you can shoot 95, you know, on your local muni, you can go to Scotland. Absolutely. Go. Why I not? Did. Yeah. A, a wonderful trip, a beautiful trip. And uh, as, as we said, folks, pick up this book because it will really give you an idea of where to go, what to do, and what you're up against, and uh, just how memorable this uh, getaway would be for you. Now, I want well, to add another thing. Go ahead. Go ahead one thing, you, know, you can do this over a weekend. You can leave on Thursday, come back Monday, and you played three days in St. Andrews. You know, you can fly to Edinburgh. That uh, you know, on a Thursday night, you arrive Friday morning at seven thirty. You take a little uh, shuttle. You're playing golf that afternoon in St. Andrews. Imagine you play you you play Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and you fly back Monday. I mean, it's a, it's it's transportive. Anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. No worries, no worries. I want to ask if there's any upcoming events, uh, author events. Book signings, uh, maybe you're coming this way. We don't know uh, for the folks out there to get a, maybe a signed copy. Anybody can contact me on, on uh, Peter Gray Golf. I'm, you know, I, I can you know, get, send you a book if you want it signed. I don't have any signing events scheduled. Right now I'm doing mostly um, you know, podcasts and radio like this. I'm going to be on the Golf Channel in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but n- none of that, no, no book sightings per se in your in your vicinity in uh, Merrick, Long Island. <laughs> no worries about that, Peter. Although I, my next book is about Long Island, and uh, so I get up to Long Island a lot, a well, lot. Give us a little insight into that book. Tease, tease, tease it. Yeah, well, that's going to be out in 2024. Um, so Long Island, as far as I'm concerned, is the is golf mecca. It is the greatest concentration of high-quality golf in the world. And all you have to do, first of all, there's 128 golf courses in 1,200 square miles of Long Island. That's one course every 10 square miles. And if you do the math, there's no place that comes close. And then if you look at the number of top 100 courses in Long Island, there are like eight and there is no place that comes anywhere near that. It is it is a special special place. Um, the, the golf courses in Long Island, the, the high, the, the you know, there many of them are very private. They're very expensive and they're very interesting. Mm-hmm. And so I give a little peek inside these clubs, um, just so people can understand what's right there in their midst. Uh, and if you sure. don't live it, you know, a lot of people outside of Long Island, people don't know what Long Island is. Yeah. Never, you know, they may know Shinnecock, they've heard of Beth Page, but the depth of golf in Long Island is just unbelievable. So, uh, you know, I've played most of them now. Uh, I spent the last two and a half, three years doing it and making trips up there 
and getting invitations to play these courses, Shinnecock and National and Maidstone and Fisher's Island and Southampton or West Hampton and East Hampton. Well, we, we, will, we will have Hampton to Club, have you. Et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, I've, I've written about them all. We will have to have you back uh, when that book comes out, and we'll, we'll chat about it on the air as well, Peter. But in the meantime, I will want to let you know it's been an honor and a pleasure to have you with us. I thank you for taking the time out of your Thanks Sunday so night much. to spend it with us back here on the Mecca of Golf, Long Island. And, just, and, Bill, just one quickie. If you want the book, it's on Amazon, and it's on Barnes & Noble. Just Excellent. Peter Gray, Golfing the British Isles, you'll find it. That's it. From... from uh, the horse's mouth, so to speak, from our friends at yeah. Triumph in Chicago. That's Peter Gray, ladies and gentlemen. Take care, Peter. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Up next on Sports Talk New York, we will welcome in a rock and roll Hall of Famer. He's heading our way this week. Dave Mason's going to join us, so stick around, folks. You're listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're back with Sports Talk New York here on WGBB. Uh, we're switching gears right now. I'm going to talk a little rock and roll. Uh, four days of music coming up in Shorefront Park out in Patchogue. Uh, such great acts as the fabulous Thunderbirds, our guest upcoming. Uh, who else we have? Uh, Electric Hot Tuna, Dirty Heads, uh, Warren Haynes, a past guest of the show, Warren Haynes with Government Mule, Jason Bonham, and Phil Lesh and Friends. Just an absolutely great lineup that's going to be taking place. So, Check that out, Shorefront Park out in Patchogue coming up starting Thursday. And our next guest, he comes from Worcester, England. Over the course of his career, he's played with notable pop and rock musicians and legends, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, The Stones, Jimi Hendrix. We could go on for an hour. In uh, 2004, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a founding member of Traffic, he and his band will be playing at the Great South Bay Music Festival in Patchogue this Thursday, July 20th at 7 p.m. We welcome to the show tonight Dave Mason. Dave, good evening. Hey, how are we? Good, thank you. Doing good. Now, I want to ask you, Dave, early influences. I, on the way to the station tonight, I was listening to an interview with Geezer Butler, and he, like about 100% of the people I speak to, say the Beatles got them going. Tell us a little bit about your influences. What started me? Yeah. Um, the Shadows. Ah. Hank Marvin. They were your inspiration. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, sounds good. Sounds good. Now, can you <laughs> can you briefly describe for us, or take as much time as you want, your time with traffic? It was kind of, kind of disjointed. Tell us about traffic, Dave. Well, what do you want to know specifically? Uh, what you did, how you got along, the the music you wrote, uh, how you guys meshed, etc. Well, we were just, you know, we were. We Steve was from uh, city of Birmingham, and we had, uh, Jim and I had a lo- little local bands, and we mm-hmm. would try up there occasionally. And um, we met at a place called the Albo Room, and just sort of um, would meet occasionally on and off, and it just sort of developed into uh, a lot of hanging out. And then Steve became sort of at some point decided that being in the Spencer Davis group was was not what he wanted to do, and and so slowly it just sort of developed into traffic. Um, but it just basically came from just us guys just hanging out and sharing a lot of the same interests in music. Um, and so that's really how it all came about. It just basically just. A, Four guys just hanging out occasionally, fine, <laughs> liking yeah. the same music. Yes, you know. Sure, that, that's, that sounds great. Now, you were a friend of Jimi Hendrix, uh, who, whose career was launched in England, of course, back uh, around 1966. Uh, mm-hmm. all, all along the Watchtower, you played on that record with, with uh, Jimmy. Uh, I play on the I play acoustic guitar on that record and. Uh, Sing on Crosstown Traffic, and there's a couple of other, um, some tracks somewhere laying around where I play bass and sitar. I have no idea what happened to them. But, um, yeah, we were, uh, I got to know Jimmy um, quite a bit. And at one time we were, I w- was between, um, I was actually not with Traffic. There was a period there where I left, and we were actually talking about me, um, Joining the uh, experience on, on bass, taking Noel Redding's place. Mm-hmm. So I had spent, you know, some good time with him. Yeah, you played twelve string acoustic on on all along the Watchtower, and I I, mm-hmm. I think that was on the album Electric Ladyland. From uh, did, did you work down at uh, Electric Lady down at, on Eighth Street, Dave? No, the tra- that track was cut at Olympic Studios. Oh, all right. In London. Yeah, okay. Might have been mixed eventually over there at Electric Lady Land, but it was recorded at Olympic. We are speaking with Dave Mason tonight, playing out at the Patchogue Music Fest, the Great South Bay, on the 20th, which is Thursday. Now, you also worked with the Stones. You're on the 68 album yeah. Beggar's Banquet. You played uh, bass drum on Street Fighting Man. Yeah, me and Brian played the, the, some of the drums, sitting in a little circle on the floor mm-hmm. with Keith and Charlie. And then I play that weird, that very strange, that weird little horn on the very end of the fade out of the tune. Yeah, <laughs> that's strange, yeah, but it works. It works great. <laughs> now, you also toured with Delaney and Bonnie. Uh, he could be kind of volatile, couldn't he? Well, Delaney and Bonnie had a big hit record with my song, Only You Know and I Know. Mm-hmm. As a number, I think a number two record. 
Um, and they were just a great band. And we, uh, I played with them for a while when I first came to America. And then we opened a lot of the, um, we opened a lot of Blind Faith shows, which is kind of where Eric got to, um, take most of that band and start Derek and the Dominoes. Yeah, did, did you have a chance, or I, I think you were slated to be the second guitar player for Derek and the Dominoes. I was with them from the very beginning. Yeah. yeah. Not bad. We, we, we did a show, one show. I did one live show with them at the, uh, <clears throat> I think in London, the Hammersmith Odeon. Yeah, the great Hammersmith Odeon. How many guys passed through that place? Man. Um George Harrison, All Things Must Pass. You appeared on that record as well, Dave. Yep. Yeah, I'm one of, well, there were a lot of people that were sort of at those sessions. <laughs> yeah, so a, lot of guys. a lot of people on that record, that's for sure. We're speaking with Dave Mason tonight. I, I'd like to ask you uh, about Cass Elliott. Uh, she seems kind of forgotten mm -hmm. these days, but I, I've always enjoyed her music, and uh, I, I try to find as much as I can to read about her, try to, to uh, gain some perspective on uh, what kind of a person she was. Cause, could you give us a little insight, Dave? Well, Cass, I got to know Cass because there was, when I first moved here, there were, um, there were actually a couple of people. There were there was a couple living at her house that I had known really well from England. So for me, it was nice to have somebody familiar, having just moved into America. So through that, I got to, you know that's how I got to get to know Cass. She just she was uh, she had a great sense of humor. She could have been the contemporary Sophie Tucker. Yeah. Really? A shame. She had yeah. a cutting, cutting sense of humor. <laughs> this is really good. She seemed like a great person to hang out with. That, that's the impression I get. She's fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Cass is very bright, very smart, and a great sense of humor. Great lady, yeah. Now, speaking of great ladies, you, you also spent time with Fleetwood Mac. That's, that's pretty interesting. Um,. Yeah, eighty four to eighty six. We did a ver. There was a it was a version of Fleetwood Mac. Let's put it that way. And um, we did an album called Time, which I don't know if anybody really knows. We ever did an album, frankly. I mean, what Warner's never promoted it really. No. So it was it was a pretty good album, but it just never um, never took off. And then we were there for a couple of years with that. Arrangement. And then, of course, they all just got back together, which was a smart thing to do. Yeah, that that was the way they were moving, and that was the way to go. You're right. Now, mm -hmm. your your guitar guitar playing uh, had really nothing to do with you leaving the band. But I, I read that you said it was more about Lindsey Buckingham's genius than your guitar playing. If it's for what? I'm sorry. When uh, when it came time to leave Fleetwood Mac, that it was more about Lindsey, he being a genius, than, than your guitar playing. No, I was just uh, just uh, Stevie and Lindsey got back and put they, you know, yeah. putting the band back together. <laughs> yeah, basically, what it was. That's where the strength was. 
Now, I bet the audience uh, on Thursday evening is going to hear feeling all right. I bet uh, you're going to knock that one out. Uh, what, do sure. you, what do you think of Joe Cocker's version of that tune? Well, that's the version that spawned all the other versions. Mm-hmm. Yep. And how do you guys do it? That's why it was covered by about fifty different artists. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. I think some young, young, some young band just did it at Bonnaroo. What's the name of that band? When Jet Morning Jacket, Morning Jacket. Yeah. Ah, okay. We'll have to look at that. Um, have you ever done it with Joe? Um. Yeah. Did a couple of times live. Nice. Okay. Yeah, he, he knocks it out of the park, Joe Cocker, that's for sure. And oh, yeah. uh, I read somewhere that you did it with John Belushi, too. Uh, I, John Belushi got up and did his Joe Cocker, uh, Cocker imitation. Yeah. Sure. That must have been funny. Now, you have uh, a new book coming out. I've been waiting for this, Dave. Uh, a new book coming out. Uh, called fittingly only you know and I know and uh, how was the experience writing that book Dave well we're still kind of going through it Uh, it's not exactly completely finished I'm hoping it'll be out by uh, before the end of the year so um, you know it's kind of it's it's interesting putting all this stuff down I'm looking forward as much to as it. I can re- as much as I can remember that is anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. It's not easy as we're getting older, Dave. That is for sure. Now, is there anything you haven't done up to this point? Someone that that you uh, would have liked to work with, or, or are you pretty content with the the body of work that you have in front of you now? Um. Well, I don't know. I mean, I just. Uh, I mean, I continue to tour and play. Um, thank God I can still do that. And, um, you know, I mean, I think that's pretty much it at this point. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm happy with what's going on. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, phil- philanthropic work, you're involved with a lot of charities. Let's talk about that Uh well, not really. I mean, just the little kids for rock, they asked me if I would be on board there or they could put my name in that a long time ago. I'm all for learn, you know, music in, in, as a school curriculum, frankly, um, and support it. Um, I had a, I had a charity, um, that was called Rock Our Vets, which we, which basically supported all uniformed services and i still um when i can do stuff with that but that that's pretty much the extent of, at the moment of what i do fine it's still great work now w- when you're not on the road uh what do you like to do with your spare time dave you like sports you read um pretty much just goof around in my studio mm-hmm. <laughs> it's more or less that you know i read uh, occasionally, uh, not as much as I used to, but uh, mostly I just fool around in my studio, nice. work on stuff. Yeah. To... And any uh, new album in the offing or anything? 
Uh, I have a, um, actually, I'm going to sort of, it's uh, more of a blues album coming out. Um, I don't know if it'll be out this year or the beginning of next year, called A Shade of Blues. And I've got a, there is a, a track coming off it in November, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, with me and Joe Bonamassa doing Dear Mr. Fantasy. Oh, it's boy. pretty killer. Yeah, that sounds great. We look forward and to he's that. And he's on two other tracks on that album. So uh, that's, uh, that, that's, the, uh, that's my latest project. Sounds good. Well, folks, it is July 20th, Thursday evening, the Great South Bay Music Festival, 710 start for Dave Mason and his band. What, what can the folks look forward to uh, in that set, Dave? Well, the, you know, I got some, we, uh, there's a number of uh, traffic tunes that I do in there, um, or at least my versions. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, your, your pretty much your classic Mason stuff is, is in there. So it's, it's a little mix of everything. Well, the folks will look forward to that, that's for sure. It's been an honor and a pleasure, Dave, speaking with you tonight. Uh, thanks for taking time out of your Sunday night to spend it with us here on Long Island. Again, Dave, play Thursday, July 20th at the Great South Bay Music Festival in Patchogue. You can find Dave on Facebook. You can follow him on Twitter at Dave Mason Band. I thank you, Dave, and we'll see you on Thursday night. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. That is the great Dave Mason, ladies and gentlemen. We will be right back. You are listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for sticking around. For the Late, Late, Late Show, Bill Donahue here on a Sunday evening, talking some sports, talking some rock and roll with you. Uh, actually, the first time I spoke about golf ever on the air was tonight, and I, I thought it went pretty well. It's interesting learning about all those courses uh, over in the British Isles, uh, something that most people probably only dream of. But in this book, it really brings home how close it is to you and how easily it can be done and how uh, how wonderful a time you could have playing those courses over in the British Isles. Uh, just a fantastic book by Peter Gray called Golfing the British Isles. It's from Triumph. Check that out, folks, if uh, you want. It's also a great present for anyone in your life who's a golf fanatic. Uh, they will enjoy this book. Nice to talk to Dave Mason, who, as we said a million times, is going to be out in Patchogue at the Great South Bay Music Fest this Friday night, uh, along with, uh, well, not uh, Thursday night, not, not on Thursday night, but appearing throughout the weekend, Phil Lesh and Friends, uh, Electrical, Hot F and Tuna, uh, can't say the other word. And uh, Government Yule with Warren Haynes and Jason Bonham with Led Zeppelin Evening, uh, Dwayne Betts and Band. It'll just be a fantastic weekend. I hope the weather holds out for uh, for everybody that plans on going down to Patchogue for that. 
But for me and for a bunch of other people, this weekend is special because it is Hall of Fame induction weekend. The weekend when baseball heroes come to life and walk around at Cooperstown for the induction of two new Hall of Famers. And uh, in case you missed it, those two men are Fred McGriff, the crime dog, and Scott Rowland, great third baseman. They will be enshrined in Cooperstown coming up next Sunday. And uh, sure to be a great weekend with the usual happenings going on. Uh, playing ball with Ozzie Smith on Friday. The uh, re- receiving of the Buck O'Neill Lifetime Achievement Award for Carl Erskine. Uh, the J- John Lowe will be presented with the J. Taylor Spank Award for sports writing. And Pat Hughes, longtime broadcaster for the Chicago Cubs, will be honored with the Ford C. Frick Award. That takes place next weekend. As I said, the induction ceremony is Sunday, and you could catch that on MLB Network if you care to. It's always a good day, and uh, they're expecting about 50 Hall of Famers to come back to Cooperstown to uh, spend the weekend watching two new members initiated into their fraternity. So we look forward to that. Uh, Just a a fantastic weekend, as as I've often described it, Woodstock uh, for baseball, the Hall of Fame weekend. I'm looking at a list of Hall of Famers expected to return to Cooperstown, and it's just amazing. Some amazing names like Bench, Boggs, Brett, Carew, Cepeda, Marischal, Molitor, Eddie Murray, Tony Oliva. Uh, Whitey Herzog, Tom Glavin, Jim Rice, Cal Ripken, you name it. They will be in Cooperstown next weekend to welcome the two new guys into the Hall of Fame. Again, that takes place Sunday, the 23rd. And as I said, you can catch it on the MLB Network. I believe they start coverage at 1 o'clock because the ceremony starts about 1.30. And hopefully it will be a great day weather-wise. Not too much sun because you can get burnt to a crisp out there. It's it's upstate New York, but it can still get very, very hot. And uh, the little town of Cooperstown will be overrun by people. Uh, they have a parking problem because there's nowhere to park, and there's just so many people in town that weekend. And it will really be a, an amazing time for everybody involved. And uh, that's about all I have for you guys this evening. I will be back next on August 6th uh, with some more great guests, some more sports talk, a few surprises, whatever else comes our way. Uh, it's been an honor and a pleasure speaking with uh, my guests tonight. They were Peter Gray and Dave Mason. I'd like to thank my engineer, Brian Graves, and you guys. Thanks, you guys, for joining us tonight. As I said, we'll be back on Sunday evening, August 6th. Till then, please be safe, be well. Bill Donahue wishing you a good evening, folks. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.